If we haven't met before, my name is Ashley, and I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm so glad to welcome you to week three of our series, Waves. The series is all about faith. Faith comes by hearing. Come on. You think about music. Music moves us. Whenever you see little kids like toddlers, nobody teaches them to groove to the rhythm. When you play music for them, they just shake their little booties. It's so cute. We take videos of them. Music evokes memories. There are songs that are like defining for seasons in our lives. And when you hear those songs, it's like, oh, you go back to that decade or back to that moment. Every time I hear Elvis, I think of my mom because she would listen to Elvis all day long on a record player while she cleaned our house when I was growing up. There's this one song from Encanto. It's called Dos Oruguitas. I don't speak Spanish, but that song makes me cry every single time. It just moves you, you know? Maybe you had a class song in high school. Ours was Graduation Song by Vitamin C, 2004. Uh, Destiny's Child was a big thing when I was in high school. I loved grooving to them with my friends. Maybe you and your spouse have a song. I actually brought our wedding CD. So at our wedding in 2007, we gave away CDs as favors. I can't even play this anymore. I don't have a CD player. But let's look at what we loved to listen to back then. Oh, yeah, we loved Strangers in the Night by Cake. Mmm, so romantic. We loved I Could Die For You by Red Hot Chili Peppers. What a ballad. We loved Island in the Sun by Weezer. I, it's not even a love song. I don't know why it's on here. This is a fun jam. And May It Be by Enya. I think Lord of the Rings had just come out or something, and that song was in there, and we just liked it. So, yeah, our wedding tunes that we don't listen to anymore. Music engages our whole being. You think about our vocal cords, our hands, our feet. It engages our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. You know, it evokes those feelings. And worship music, specifically worship, engages our body, our soul, and our spirit. That's the part of us that runs after God, the part of us that is awakened when we trust in Jesus. Worship is not just music, though. It's really giving God value in our lives. Uh, it comes from the old English word, worthship, worthship. Whatever we ascribe value to is what we worship. We say it is worthy to be worshiped. And we worship a lot of things. Uh, what we spend the most time on and what we spend money on really shows where we place value. Value is just the price you pay for something. And at the cross, God proved how much we were worth to him when he sacrificed Jesus for our, our sins, our shortcomings, our mistakes. Come on. That's amazing. He said we were worthy. Our worship demonstrates God's worth to us. So we say, God, you are worthy through our worship. And our worship is always motivated by our love for God, our relationship with him. We go to him in our hard times and worship him. We go to him in our glad times and worship him because of who he is. We come to church because we love him. We love spending time with him. When we come to church because, oh, it's the right thing to do, that's not worship. That's religion, and that comes from a sense of duty. And that's not what we're about. That's not what God is about. It doesn't produce anything good in our lives. 
God's not interested in religion. He's interested in a relationship with you. Come on. He's interested in us being worshipers, people who love God because there's nothing we'd rather do, because he loved us first. Our worship is not based on us at all. It's based on God and who he is. When we pray, we're focused on our needs. When we give thanks, we're focused on our blessings. But when we worship, we're focused on God. Today's message is called Worship. We look at Matthew 18, 20. Jesus said, For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. When we gather together in worship, Jesus is with us. And we give him honor and we give him glory. And where Jesus is, anything can happen. Come on. As we gather together, it positions us to enter into the presence of God. And wherever people praise, God comes. He inhabits our praises. Maybe you felt his presence here this morning. Psalm 22.3 says, You are holy, God, enthroned in the praises of Israel. The message version says, God leans back on the cushions of our praises. Like leaning back on a couch. He places his weight on our worship. When you know Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you, but you can also experience God's presence around you. Our praises, they build a seat of honor for our King to come and to rest his glory on. And his glory is just his manifest presence. It's his goodness. It's his greatness. It's his tangible weight. It's knowing that he is right near you. And you can have as much of God as you want. A little praise that makes a little throne. And that's not bad. I mean, a little throne. I kind of imagine something like this. This is one of my daughter's Barbie chairs from her Barbie dream house. Our praise creates a place for him to rest. This is a small start. And last week we talked about celebrating small starts. They're good things, right? Come on. But we have a big God. Let's not stop here. More praises means more presence. Come on, we want to be like King David. Psalm 34, 1, he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let's always create a space for God. Continually. Let's take his presence with us wherever we go. Let's sing out praises that create a bigger throne for his presence. Not this size. How about this whole room size for his presence? Come on. Let's put this thing away. We don't need this size. We don't want to settle for the start. We celebrate the start, but man, we don't want to settle for a small piece of God's glory. We want to create an atmosphere where he can't help but pour out more of himself in this place. Come on. That's what the Israelites did after Solomon built the temple. Second Chronicles 5.13, it says, It happened when the trumpet players and the singers made one sound of praise and give thanks to the Lord, when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and all the instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, He is good and his mercy endures forever, that the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. Can we just say that? He is good, he is good. and his mercy endures forever. Come on. 
Verse 14, the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Come on. They praised God with their instruments. They praised God with their voices. And the temple was filled with his presence. He inhabited their worship. The people were praising God, and God showed up. So how do we praise him? Psalm 47.1 says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a joyful voice. Can we give him a clap? Come on. Shout, give him a shout of praise. Come on. God, you are worthy. We worship you in this place. We praise him with clapping. We praise him with shouting. 2 Samuel 6.14 says, David danced before the Lord with all his might. You're wondering if I'm going to make you dance. Just give him a little wiggle in your seat. I'm not a great dancer, but you know what? It doesn't matter. David was a man after God's own heart, and he couldn't help but dance. Someone was watching our live stream the other week, and they said, man, your church is full of energy. Is it always like that? And I said, yeah, we really love Jesus a whole lot. Come on. Psalm 134.2 says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Can we just practice that? Lift up your hands. Come on. It's so freeing to lift up our hands. When we do that, we're communicating, God, I surrender to you. God, I yield to you. I remember thinking a while ago, man, I don't know if I can feel God's presence like other people. If you're like that, if you're thinking, I don't know if I feel him, yield to him, surrender to him. Come on. He wants to bless you, but sometimes we're just so stubborn. Yield. Kids lift up their arms to their parents like, Mommy, Daddy, pick me up. That's what we're doing to God. And then our arms are open to receive. Psalm 95.6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Sometimes our worship isn't loud. Sometimes it's bowing. It's kneeling. Simply surrendering to His presence. God is enthroned on the praises of his people. And where God is, anything is possible. Come on, healing happens in the presence of God, our healer. Salvation happens in the presence of our Savior. Provision happens in the presence of God, our provider. Peace happens in the presence of God, our peace. He sets the captives free. He speaks to us. Prayers are answered in his presence. Anything is possible when God is in the house. Come on. And his presence comes when his people praise him. Paul and Silas experienced God in prison. They were going from city to city. They were preaching, talking about Jesus. Many people were getting saved. And there was this one girl who kept following them around. She was a slave girl. And the Bible says she was possessed by a demon. And so she kept saying, these guys know Jesus, and they're telling you about him. And she followed him around for a few days. And finally, the Bible says, Paul got annoyed with her, says he was annoyed. <laughs> and he said, demon, leave her. And she was healed. But her employers were not very happy about that because, I mean, she was making them lots of money predicting things. And so they had him sent to jail. Before we get to that part, I want to ask you, why didn't Paul just heal her on day one? Like, he saw she had a demon. Why didn't he heal her? It doesn't tell us, 
But I do know that Jesus asked people, do you want to be healed? You know, sometimes we make an identity out of our pain. We make an identity out of letting the enemy steal from us. We get stuck in our comfortability. We say, I'm used to my demons. We get comfortable with fear and stress and worry. And we stop believing for healing. And we say, that's just who I am. But anything that steals from you is not from God. Come on. So Paul heals her. And her masters are furious. And they have him beaten and thrown in jail. Verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So Paul and Silas, they had a bad day. They cast this demon out, and then all the people beat them. They're in a lot of pain. They probably couldn't sleep because their wounds hurt. They were probably sitting on, like, rocks. Think of how annoying it is not to be able to sleep just normally, let alone because you're in so much pain. They could have complained about the unfair treatment, like, we were thrown in prison and we helped that girl. They could have worried about what was going to happen the next day, like, how long are we going to be in jail? What's going to happen? What charges are going to be brought against us? They could be worried about what people would think, worried about their friends and their family. They could have responded in any human way, like any of us would, and nobody would blame them. Maybe right now you're in a prison a prison that somebody else put you in. Maybe you're in a prison of bitterness because you were overlooked. Maybe you're in a prison of unforgiveness because someone hurt you. Maybe you're in a prison of offense because someone lied to you. A prison of fear, doubt, or defeat. Yeah, you could tell everybody what they did to you. You could spend all your days worrying about the future. You could hurt them because they hurt you. Those things might feel good in the moment, but you know they're not going to help. When you're in a prison, start by talking to God about it like Paul and Silas did. What did they do? They prayed, and then they put worth on God. They got them, their focus off of themselves, and they worshiped him in their prison. Come on. So they're praying, they're singing to God, and the Bible says the prisoners were listening to them. When you're going through something, the people around you are listening to your response. Not because they want to make sure you do the right thing, but because they're looking for hope. They're looking for something that you have with Jesus that's different. They're listening to your response. The people on social media, the friends at work, your kids, they're watching to see what you do. They want to see how your life is different. There will be moments in your life that change your world in a matter of minutes. Things that aren't your fault. Things that you didn't choose, but you can choose how you respond. You can use them to become stronger, smarter, kinder, and more like Jesus. Come on. The bad things can bring out the best in you, or they can bring out the worst in you. It's your choice. Trials show you what you're made of. They show you who you really are. And they show you what you actually believe. And sometimes you'll surprise yourself in a good way. You'll look back and you'll be like, wow, I'm amazed at the faith that got me through that season. And sometimes you'll surprise yourself in a different way. And you'll see you have places to grow. Choose to worship in the middle of your prison. 
There are two times in life to worship. When you feel like it and when you don't. Come on. When you feel like it and when you don't. Basically all the time. If you find yourself saying, I don't feel like worshiping right now, that's exactly what you need to do. Come on. Faith does not say, oh, I'll trust God if he comes through. It says, I'll worship him right now in the prison. I trust him no matter what happens because he's already proven his love for me on the cross. It's not denying our circumstances. It's saying God is faithful regardless of the situation. Worship's not about what God does. It's about who he is. And who he is is faithful. Who he is can be trusted. Who he is, he will never leave you or forsake you. When you're in a dry season, a barren season, a hard season, don't give up. Worship. Habakkuk 3.17 says, Though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat fields stunted, though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns empty, I'm singing joyful praise to God. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Even though the facts look bleak, even though the circumstances look bad, we can still praise God in faith. And that's what they were doing in the prison. It looked bad. They're surrounded by prisoners. But God was still faithful. Singing praises is just singing the truth of who God is. It's speaking to your situation, God's promises. And our praises silence the enemy. They magnify our faith because faith comes by hearing. And as we worship, our faith grows. We hear those words spoken out in faith. We want to praise our way to seeing victory. I love Psalm 8 too. It says, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. The praise of babies. Come on. The faith of children establishes a stronghold against the enemy. Even the praises of kids silence the enemy because they believe what they're singing by faith. Come on. So Paul and Silas, they worship God in the prison. Verse 26, Acts 16, 26 says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Wow. Everyone's chains were loosed at midnight. Can you imagine if they had stopped worshiping at 11 p.m.? Like, oh, we worshiped. Let's try to sleep now. The miracle happened at midnight. They didn't stop. They worshiped until God moved. They worshiped until the chains were broken. If you're in a prison, keep worshiping. Back in the 1800s, there were some explorers. They were going across the desert, and they ran out of water. Sounds like what we were talking about last week. They ran out of water, and so they started digging to try to find a well. And they dug lots of places, and unfortunately, they didn't make it. They didn't find water. A few years later, some other people came through, and they found water exactly where they were digging, just down one more foot. If they had just dug down one more foot, they would have found the water. But they gave up before they saw the miracle. If you stop worshiping, it's time to start again before you see your miracle. 
Paul didn't wait to worship till after the miracle. He worshiped before. I mean, it makes sense to worship after, right? After the promotion, after the answered prayer, after your healing. But Paul and Silas's worship is what activated God's power in their situation. Some of us are in a prison right now, and we've got to turn up our worship. We've got to magnify God's goodness in our lives. Come on. While they were worshiping, God was working. God provided the miracle. Worship broke the chains. And not just Paul and Silas's. It says everyone's chains. Come on, miracles don't just happen for us. God uses them to impact other people. I love that. Verse 27, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself because he thought everyone had escaped. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. That's a miracle in itself. The jailer called for lights. He rushed in. He fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. Come on. God used their prison experience, not just for them, but for the jailer and his whole family to meet Jesus. And then the jailer goes on to help Paul. He tends to their wounds and he feeds them. Paul and Silas got cared for and other people got saved. All because they chose to worship in their prison. We see miracles happen during worship over and over in the Bible. When King Saul was tormented by demons, 1 Samuel 16, 23 says, David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. He sought relief from mental and emotional turmoil through worship. There was such an atmosphere created when David played the harp that the demons fleed. A person of hope shared a few weeks ago that God healed their anxiety during worship. Come on. It's who he is. It's what he does. Last week, we looked at where God asked the Israelites to dig ditches so he could send water. And when Elisha was receiving the prophecy for them to do that, 2 Kings 3.15, he said, bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. Sometimes God speaks to you during worship. He'll remind you of a verse that you need in this season. Or he'll fill you with his love. You'll feel his comfort. You'll feel his peace. You'll feel his presence. God provides during worship. 2 Kings 3.20 It happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered, which means when people were worshiping God, suddenly water came by the way of Edom and the land was filled with water. They needed water. God brought the water when they were worshiping. Like Waymaker that we sang earlier, he never stops working. While we're worshiping, he's working. When Jericho stood between the Israelites and the promised land, Joshua 6.20, the priests blew the trumpets. When the people heard the blast, they gave a shout. The wall fell at once. Strongholds are broken through worship. We're going to close today by looking at King Jehoshaphat and the tribe of Judah. Judah means praise. So these guys, they heard that three foreign kings were going to be coming against them to wage war. And the king ordered the whole nation to fast. And they gathered together at the temple to seek the Lord. Second Chronicles 20.12 says, We have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
So they've got these enemies coming against them. They're like, we need to ask God about it because we have no idea what to do. We have no power. We don't know what to do. But you do, God. So simple. Sometimes we think our prayers need to be elaborate. We can just say to God what we're thinking. Say something. Say anything. Pray when you're in the prison. Just talk to him. Verse 15. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God. Whatever you're facing right now, man, he cares about it way more than you care about it. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a loud voice. The battle's not yours anyway. It's God. He's your defender. His name is at stake. And they responded by bowing, worshiping, and praising him with a loud voice. Verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. I love this so much. The king got all the worship leaders together and he put them at the front of the army. They didn't have weapons. Their weapon was their worship. They're marching in front, praising God, saying, give thanks to the Lord. He's good. His love endures forever. Their battle strategy was to worship first. Man, I think that's brilliant. Because what did we learn earlier? God inhabits the praises of his people. And they were creating a space for God to move. Not just a little Barbie chair space. Praises first and in the front of the army for God to inhabit. A big space for God between them and the other army. When you need a miracle, create space for God to move through your worship. Worship first. When you're in a prison, worship first. When you have a problem, worship first. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. The war was won while they were worshiping. They weren't worrying, they weren't complaining, they weren't even fighting the battle themselves. They were worshiping. And while they worshiped, God caused the armies to attack each other. So the, by the time they got on the scene, there was nobody to fight. Verse 25, Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder. They found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder, it took three days to collect it. They didn't just win the battle. They got three days of plunder. God solved their enemy problem, and then he blessed them. On top of that, he always does more than we could ask or imagine. It's what he did in the prison. He released Paul and Silas, and many people said yes to Jesus. 
Verse 26, on the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. They didn't just worship God once. They worshiped him twice. They worshiped him in the valley when they got all their plunder. And then they went back to the temple of the Lord. When they got back home, they worshiped him again. They had worshiped him before their miracle when they found out about their problem. And they said, God, what do we do? They bowed down and worshiped before him. And then they worshiped during the battle. They sent the worshipers out front. And then they worshiped on the other side of it. They basically worshiped always. When you're discouraged, confused, or feeling defeated, when you're lonely or feeling sad, worship God. When you're happy, encouraged, thriving, and feeling blessed, praise God. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Speak of his goodness all the time. Praise isn't just reserved for Sundays at church. You can worship in your car. You can worship at the office singing a song under your breath. You can worship at the grocery store, humming something to God, talking to him. My kids and I, we love to worship in the car together. They like to listen to baby T-Rex, and then we listen to some worship songs, whatever we sang on Hope, at Hope Church that Sunday. We worship together as a family. This week, create a space. Create a throne for God's presence in your life through worship. And not just on your own. Ephesians 5.19 says, Drink deeply of God's spirit. Speak to another, one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and offer praises in your hearts to the Lord. There's so much power where many are gathered. Jesus is in their midst. And that's why Sundays are so important. God is here in this place. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. There's joy in this place. In his presence, there is peace. Peace is here right now. There's expectation. Faith rises and miracles happen because God fulfills his promises. We worship him because he's worthy and we love him because he loved us first. Not because we have to, that's religion. We worship him because we get to. Because while we were still enemies of God, while we were still dead in our sins and our shortcomings and all the things that kept us separated from him, Jesus died for us so that we could have a relationship with God, a relationship that we were created for. And all we do is choose to receive that gift by believing in Jesus. We believe in our hearts and we declare it with our mouths and he makes us a brand new creation.